well, that was meant to be our opening sting, but it was quite bleak. <laughs> you can't preempt the sting. It has to happen naturally. I, uh, I hadn't pressed recording yet, so that's just lost. Lost to time. That's okay. It means we're immortal now. It's quite a lot of pressure to try and come up with some like pre-sting banter that naturally hits a crescendo that we can lead into the to the intro music with. Yeah, Matthew really albatrossed that, didn't he? Cause oh, now I'm so we're... sorry. Sometimes it's really great, and sometimes it's really disappointing. You've sent us all to Bantanamo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy. fades out very suddenly. Hello and welcome to the Electronic Wireless Show, Rock Paper Shotgun's PC gaming podcast and the only podcast you need in Alice Bell's opinion. Alice isn't here this week though, she's on holiday. I am Graham Smith, the editor of RPS, filling in for her, but joining us as always is Matthew Castle. Hello. And Nate Crowley. Hello. Nate, you just... Your name in Zencaster is just Nate Crowley. I thought you were supposed to have like a funny name every week. Oh, I'm disgusted with myself. That's because I'm logged in because I do this like impromptu animal podcast occasionally. So I made myself a Zencaster account, and now I could, oh, I would have been like um, I would have been the uh, late Crowley. Late Crowley. That's good, actually. Or just Alistair Crowley, the famous death magician. (laughs) (laughs) The reason for that is that our topic this week is death. Deaths in video games, obviously. Um, Funny deaths, whether they be narrative or interesting deaths, based on mechanics and so on and so forth. What What do you guys think about death? It's weird, isn't it, that we're... So used to the, with the vocabulary of lives and death and stuff is so just seems totally normal that we just constantly confront death in games. We never think of it as death. I can think of a handful of times where anyone dying meant anything to me, and I suppose it's always it been real life. Yeah, no, I just don't have emotions. Right. I don't don't mind when people. When people die. Now, I suppose um, it's really tough to ascribe meaning to death in a game outside of like a big old narrative spectacular. But even then, you can rewind it, can't you? You can just do it again, bring them back to life. You must have a, a, a slightly different relationship with death as well, given the the many fish and other aquatic life that 
you are currently surrounded yeah. by in your office. Like it seems like you deal with that on a regular basis as your as your tropical fish sometimes die and then, you know, eat each other in the middle of the night and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's true actually. Yesterday one of my pygmy corridorus died because there are swarms of the things and they're quite you know, they don't live very long. So I fished it out and Can you be emotionally attached to a swarm? Well, that's the interesting thing. Me and Ashley were talking about this the other day because my... Now, the only, like, non-swarm death I've had in the last few months has been uh, Laszlo, who was the cichlid. You know, the the Eternal Sunshine cichlid? Uh, I believe I reported his death a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. But he had a name, and I suppose the vestiges of a character... Whereas um, the various shoals of fish we just refer to as gangs, and they have gang names, like we've got the Wild Beans, <laughs> and we've got the Brave Friends, and the Busy Men. They all um, sound a little bit like alt-right groups. <laughs> oh, yikes, they do a bit, don't they? <laughs> um, oh, no. Well, I assure you. I love they're... the Busy Men, he said in the debate last night. <laughs> Oh, no, all of my fish are at worst centrist. <laughs> right. I think a swarm, because I think I see characters as swarms, don't you? Because they're just generic, you know, you have a swarm of Marios that you're just eating through as you throw them down death pits. Like, I don't think, I've never once killed a character in a game and gone, oh no, this character's dead. Um, it's just a life pool that you're depleting. So yeah, do you see it as there being like, um, let's think of a, a game on PC. Um, you're not allowed to talk about Mario. Oh, of course. Sorry. Uh, Super Meat Boy. Yeah. Well, he's he's just made of meat, isn't he? Like, do you reckon they've got sort of one of those Dutch um, machines that you see in the news where they can grow meat on wires and things? <laughs> and they've just got racks of him. But that's... Well, like- I'd say that's Super- actually a rare example, though, that does rub it in your face. Because you kill all the meat boys, and then you see all the meat boys at the end of a level, don't you? I remember, I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the replay, once you've beaten a level, it shows you every run played simultaneously in the replay. And so you get a swarm of meat boys smashing and painting their way through levels with their blood. Well, aren't there levels as well where there are like invisible sores or whatever, and you can only see them once you've coated them with your innards and viscera don't remember that I mean, but that probably be a mechanic that might yeah. have just been a nightmare i had there have been games recently where you have like a gang of stuff and killing them is is part of the mechanic um i'm trying to think of a pc specific example there was a there was a platforming game i don't I can't remember if it was on pc it was definitely on playstation where you had like bear and like the bear you you jump the bear onto like spikes and stuff, and then that bear's corpse would be a platform for the next bear, if that makes sense. Um, oh, yikes. And um, there was that... What was that weird puzzler? Uh, we were talking about this on the charity... on the um, indie stream the other day, and we were joking about how we couldn't remember its name, and I still can't remember its name, where you clone yourself. and those The Swapper. The Swapper. Because that, that one's a weird one, because you're cloning yourself, and then those clones 
are arguably being sacrificed to kind of further your progress. And there's also a big discussion about like which, you know, are you your original self or like who are you at the end of that game? Because, you know, have you can you maintain your original body through the swapper or 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 something along those lines? Spoiler yeah, alert sp- for the prestige. Is it like the end of the prestige? Uh not not really, because the swapper, it's kind of you're swapping your soul between cloned bodies. And it's the question of like, is you, is is the is the body you inhabit you, or have you murdered your actual self? You know, quite early on, you can have that discussion. Probably in the first puzzle, um, there's not like a room of dead swappers or anything. Oh, do you want to hear my really dark theory about RoboCop? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it's all right to talk about him on this podcast because he's a PC in both senses of the word. <laughs> Um, I reckon so you know at the end there's that moment where um, at the beginning of the film it establishes that Murphy the non-robocop like twirls his gun there's a little thing to amuse his kid do you remember that? Mm. and then at the end when he's a robo and he sees his kid again and it's like, oh, but is has he just become a machine? But then he twirls his gun. And it's, oh, it's his dad. But I don't think it is. What I think happens is Murphy just straight up dies in the shootout with Bodica at the beginning. Mm. He's just dead. And they keep like blood going through his brain and whack a computer in there. And the computer can access his memories and use some of his sort of wet work or wetware or whatever you'd call like a brain if you're a computer. But it's not, it's not his consciousness. It's not him. It's an AI that can access a dead man's memories and mannerisms. So when it's playing the heroic music at the end, that's just a soulless computer, <laughs> like puppeting a child's father's corpse with a right. silly bucket helmet. But if you puppet and puppet it enough, isn't it like what's the difference? Who's to know? Well yeah, I mean you could say that, you know, every morning when we wake up we're an entirely new consciousness uh from the night before. So we're all Robocops in a way, aren't we? You could say that if you were a wanker. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 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 like this it's it's swamp thing isn't it it's alan moore's swamp thing where the swamp thing comics were basically about the big swamp monster trying to find a way to reverse the swampification process and turn himself back into a man but then when alan moore took it over and wrote a, the kind of famous swamp thing comic run in the 80s he the canon became basically just like no the guy that was swamp thing died in the process and he is now just, he's not actually a continuation of that person. He is just like a infected sentient swamp that has access to that guy's memories. And so there is no way to transfer him back or turn him back into his human form or anything. That was a well-good um, comic. It was a pretty good comic. It would. I bet Matt Cox is properly itching that he can't leap through the wires right now and be on this. <laughs> but he'd, he'd have some things to say. Shouting philosophy at the podcast. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> we shall only talk about silly films and comics and video games. 
The prompt for this discussion was Splunky 2. So I'm going to play some, some more lovely Sting music and then talk a bit about that. Nice. Nice. There we go. I'm in control of the Stings today. Oh my god. It's fun. So I've been playing Splunky 2, which is a game all about dying because it's got permadeath in it. And it is a game where you will die a lot. Like there are some permadeath games, I feel like, where you can reasonably expect to live for a decent amount of time, even when you're inexperienced. Whereas Spelunky is a game where I think if you're inexperienced with it, you will die within a couple of minutes, maybe really? even seconds of playing it. I think so. I think if you approach Spelunky and you've not played it before, it is very easy because there are just things on every level that no matter how many health points you've got will kill you in a single hit. Like spike spike pits, for example. You fall in the spikes, that's it, you're dead. And it's really easy to go, oh, I'm just going to jump over the spike pits. It's a platform game, but it's easy enough. But then you will hit a bat in midair and he will just disturb your arc of your jump enough that you fall in the spikes and I say you're dead. And until you become accustomed to how to deal with bats, how to deal with spiders, how to deal with cavemen, how to deal with these things in combination, I think there are lots of runs you'll do of this of this game that will end quite abruptly. And even, you know, I've played Splunky One since the original freeware release, which I think was in 2008, 2009 or something, but there, there are still runs now where just I make a mistake and I would die very, very suddenly. Um, but I, I never find it frustrating. But it's also a game where the deaths, because they are so abrupt and because they sort of punish hubris, um, they are often funny. Like, it's possible to get through that game and be having this amazing run and have gathered all these health points, you start off with a default four health points. Mm. It's possible to build that up by rescuing pets on every level till you have like nine health points and you've discovered a jetpack and you've got all this gold and you're fully equipped with bombs and then to die in just the most brutally punishing ways. So for example, I've had runs before where I've had a jetpack. I've been flying through the ice world fully equipped thinking i'm doing great i've got no challenges at all because the jetpack means that jumping is no longer a concern and you can whiz past most enemies and that sort of stuff but there are rocks in the world and some and there are jump pads in the world and those rocks can just if they're resting on a jump pad will just hop up and down on the jump pad forever Mm. and if you don't spot it as you're jetpacking across that rock will hit you in the head knock you unconscious on top of the the jump pad and then the rock will just be repeatedly propelled into your head before you're able to ever regain consciousness and no matter how many health points you've got you know no matter how many items and how powerful you are in that moment you've just been defeated by an inanimate object uh, rocks and, a great leveler <laughs> yeah and, and you know, it's a it's a game where you can like you've got you've always got bombs and you're placing bombs in order to blow your way through scenery. But if you're not checking the ground to see if there's a rock nearby, the explosion of your own bomb will pro- propel that rock directly into your head, and you get these kind of like domino chain reactions of the game's physics, where the rock into your head knocks you unconscious, but also knocks you off a ledge, which knocks you into a dart trap, and that takes another two health for you. You're now dazed on the ground with a bat racing towards your head, and if that bat touches you that's it that's your final health point lost um 
How, and these uh, kind of like cascades are, are really entertaining to me. How how much does the game sort of set those up? Because I, I haven't played. I've I've played like a tiny amount of Spelunky One, so I've really got no read on like how how it all behaves, like world generation wise. You know, does it? Is it trying to? Does it create like impossible gauntlets, or is there always a a, a fix to it, a solution? There's always a route towards the exit on any level, and so and you you have resources and tools available to you that you know you can always get to the end unless you make a mistake. So it's possible to like um, jump down into a hole that there's no way out of unless you've got ropes. And if you've run out of ropes because you've not been managing your own resources properly, you might just be screwed at that point. Oh. Now, if you've got if you've got bombs, you can maybe bomb your way out. But if you don't have bombs either, you're now just stuck in a hole with no way to progress. You've just reminded me of like like probably the most upsetting thing in games for me. I'm going to use my my license to talk about a 16-bit non-PC title here. <laughs> um, Mystic Cave Zone on Sonic the Hedgehog 2 had one hole with spikes that was about eight pixels too short to jump out of. And if you went in it, that was it. Because you know Sonic can get his rings back once he's been mm. boinked. Um, so you could keep like leaping for the rings, but then you get boinked again and you'd have to keep leaping for the rings. And you could keep keep it going as long as you wanted, but eventually you just had to give in and face death. It was the only place in any Sonic game where you couldn't get out of a trap. It was oh it was really harrowing when you're used to being able to get out of everything once you've made a mistake. That sounds grim. <laughs> but I mean if if you're expecting it, like I think it sounds. I've never played a Spelunky, but it sounds entertainingly merciless. So that's the norm. Isn't I thought. I thought the other thing with Spelunky was that it had like this huge sort of like labyrinth of secrets that are partially tied to random occurrences in world generation. So, with that in mind, is this sub, like you must get deaths where. You've 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 finally had access to the thing you've been waiting for for all this time, or you finally had the perfect combination of items to unlock the hidden path, or whatever the the thing the thing is. And those deaths must just be the worst thing in the world, surely. <laughs> See, they don't feel that way to me. In fact, the secrets feel like sub goals or mini goals towards your progress towards actually completing the entire thing such that they feel like a, a way that the game becomes less frustrating you know because like i know on any given run i'm not going to complete spelunky i'm not going to survive all the way to the end like even after years and years of playing the first game i wasn't completing it on every run but in playing spelunky 2 because all the secrets are new i know i can make a little bit of more progress probably you know, over an hour of playing it towards discovering more of those secrets as you go along. And a lot of the secrets, or most of the secrets, although they are affected in how difficult they are on any given run by the procedural generation, not to the point where, oh, this run it's just impossible. Right. It's just this run it's a little bit harder than on some other run where maybe the 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 key that you need to get to open a chest to get the UJI, for example, which is like a World War One, a World One thing on both Spelunky oh, One and World War One thing. <laughs> that is not what I thought Spelunky was about. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a strange verbal slip there. Um, 
Well, lots of people died there, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, True. Geez. And they also thought it was unfair. Well, that, well, except there, they weren't like, great, I'll have another go. That Has anyone fun. ever made a World War One platform game? <laughs> Probably. Is the sad answer to that question. Oh, I don't, I, there are barely... Any, well, there was Battlefield, wasn't there, which threw people for a bit of a spin. There was that weird Ubisoft one where it was like a, it was kind of like a living kind of comic book. It was almost like a point-and-click adventure where you had to, like, get a, a dog to find some sausages in the trenches and then everyone got gassed and you were reminded that it was really sad. Uh-huh. Oh, they did the old Blackadder. <laughs> well, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't as well done as that. It was, it was like, it sort of uh, had this sort of mad honking music. It was very comic <laughs> up until, like, the occasional <laughs> moments where it was, like, would show you a picture of like your great granddad, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, this was sad." <laughs> well, so I've been enjoying Iron Harvest recently, and I, I, it is really good. But I, I keep having a bit of a with that game because you know all the the, the narrative and the campaigns. Oh, war's horrible. It's really bad. It's t- terrible business. And then it's like, yeah, the war's so bad because we've got these mecha. And it's, um, <laughs> it was quite bad without the Mecca. But... <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. It feels like the Mecca are the thing that make that game cool, not bad. <laughs> I feel like they should be like, you know, the little little child in the field watching his village be burned down should be like, oh, this war is terrible, but at least we have the Mecca because those guys are really cool. That is actually pretty much the moral of the game. <laughs> it's the Gundam thing, which I previously tried to convince Matthew of before. If you've, uh, I can't believe I'm taking this podcast into anime territory oh right now, God. but there are PC games. There are PC games based on the Gundam series, so it's it's relevant. But Gundam is a sci-fi mech show um, about just the horrors of war in space and this eternal war and oftentimes extremely young people teenagers sacrificing their bodies and cutting off their arms and stuff like that in order to more efficiently um, pilot these mechs in these this pointless space war and then there's a, one of the spin-off series in which um it's set on earth and it's children just with like model mecha based on the real mecha from the other series battling them out as like a pokemon thing because they think the mechs are cool toys and there's remote control versions of them but that is sort of how the fans of that show you know the fact that they buy the models and build them in real life and people have shelves full of gundam like they're not watching that show and going like oh no war's terrible they're like sweet merch um like that is most people's reaction to gundam i think but I think that's also some people's reaction to actual war. Like, it's not like you can't go buy real remote control versions of real tanks in our, you know, oh, our yeah. real world universe and drive them around and stuff like that. And there are people that do that. Um, in fact, we do that as PC gamers all the time. Oh, yeah. To some point, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just talked about several war games. So, like, <laughs> yeah. we're not, we're not, we're not any different in in our out of fiction universe. My God, Gundam was so ahead of its time. <laughs> it's really got to bank the rights. It's weird, isn't it? That I think if no one had made like a war game, and someone made one, it would be the most controversial thing ever. Like it would be, 
you know, I, I, I beg your pardon. This is not entertainment. <laughs> but it's just like so established. Just like, oh, I fancy a bit of World War II. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Age of Empires. I mean, you know, every day I, uh, you know, reenact a medieval genocide or two before <laughs> breakfast. It's fun. <laughs> I was trying to think of games where death had some kind of meaning or some kind of like epic cost. I was trying to think of it. Was there any game where, where death is treated as not just a narrative event, but something kind of terrible. Um, and I could think I was thinking for death stranding weirdly, hmm. because in the fiction of death stranding, if, if you die, you have to incinerate and get rid of the bodies because the bodies basically become nukes um, due to some some Kojima sort of mad nonsense that I can't really explain. Um, and uh, mechanically, like it doesn't come into play that often, but your main character, if you die in certain circumstances, like a sort of a true death in, in it killed by a ghost in this world, you do nuke and you explode and you'll you will leave like a crater in the landscape where you died. It's so gigaburst. Yeah. Um but I couldn't think of any other games which kind of treated it in that way where it was you know there was a mechanical reason why you shouldn't do it and a narrative reason and a mechanical reason kind of tied in. Most games I think sort of chicken out because it would, you know It'd just be too much hard work. You, you know, that's the only threat a game holds against you is death. So, you know, you have to be able to come back. Um, oh, actually, Graham, you'll probably know an example if this exists. It's the sort of thing you, I reckon you'd know. Um, has there ever been a game that went one step further than permadeath and just deleted itself from your hard drive if you died? So you only ever got one go. Or, you know, somehow did something clever that meant unless you were like a, a, a clever computer person, you couldn't you couldn't play it again. Yes, not one that I can name, but I've definitely seen indie games where that's been the central hook, is that you get to play this one time and then the the, the, the executable deletes itself afterwards yeah. or otherwise renders itself unplayable. There was um who was the guy who did that that passage in all that gubbins? Um Jason Rora. Jason Rora. I think he I think he did a like a life sim where you played one life and it was on a memory stick and then you were meant to pass it on to someone else. Yeah, he did that as like a almost like a little art project. Yeah. Um where yeah, and you weren't allowed to tell anyone about what the game was. And so I don't think people even know now. He does have another Just game. Mash is... to eat pies. It's, it's really silly. <laughs> He does have another multiplayer game which he released uh, a couple of years ago, which is called like. So that it's not like is it one minute one life or something oh. like that. Yeah, and you like people try and pass on knowledge to the next generation so that they can make the most of their one minute a bit and sort of further civilization. Isn't that something like what, that? Was one error, one life. Yeah, and it's a multiplayer game where you have a baby during the course of play, but the baby is another player. 
And so it's like a multiplayer game where you give birth to the next player and they can't do anything. They're just a baby and you have to look after them until they're old enough and then you die. And then they're going to carry on with all the stuff that you've built and the items in the environment and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, I saw that being played. It had a really nice art style. I liked that. Civilization trying to, to construct abs- itself. What happens if you give birth to some horrible internet edgelord and then that's, they just kill you instantly? Well, what if you're what if you're born to an internet edgelord and they just abandon you in a field somewhere and you just that's your life is just as a baby They're starving to death, screaming memes at you all through your childhood. <laughs> you just don't understand the rules of the game and just die as a baby. That'd be rotten. What a rotten life. Well, the memes. Mm. Um, I also liked. I was thinking of deaths that I thought were interesting or a bit different and annoy I, I'm gonna apologize because this one isn't on PC I thought it was um the others are fable 2 um when you die in that world you just come back to life straight away like it no progress um taken away from you um but you are punished in that your character uh, becomes like more scarred and like withered as they as they play so it kind of punishes you on a on a kind of permanent customization level so like if you if you live a hectic life where you die a lot your kind of badass sort of whatever thing that you're trying to create will kind of wear the evidence of those losses um it's like lamarckian almost that's cool yes Right, yes. we we know what Lamarckian means. Ooh, la, la. It was the, um, <laughs> it was the, the presenter of Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Mark Lamar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's um No, who was it? It was uh the Geyser who came up with an alternative to uh natural selection where he thought that like basically giraffes have long necks because a succession of not giraffes stretched successively higher to get to leaves and their young were born with slightly longer necks. <laughs> this was big in, in the 50s. I think Stalin was really into it. <laughs> um, they tried you, to make it a thing. Did you just spend a lot of time like, without using his arms trying to reach oranges on a tree by extending his neck with the hope that his children would be really tall or like what, like how did St- Stalin's interest in this manifest? Well I don't know if you've ever seen a photo of Stalin's great grandson but <laughs> he can look through fourth story windows basically stretch children. Armstrong yeah <laughs> oh god stretch Armstrong Stalin what a horrible thought oh terrible um yeah, well, it makes you worry, doesn't it, that you want to like try and sort of quell any any um, weird habits before you have children, just in case you pass them on in some kind of evolutionary uh, bit of madness. Well, so, I hate to say this, but you do pass things on. I was thinking more like if you think too much it's about like eating crisps though. while they're in the womb <laughs> or something, and they come out as some mad foraging beast. <laughs> it's wild for walkers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've gotten really into crisps recently. I always thought they were completely underwhelming, but I mean, whew, it has just been an orgy of crisps. 
Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> is, 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 is your daughter really into aquatic fish, Nate? Her first word was fish. Really? There you go. Yeah, well, she is, she's named after uh, a, a titan of the sea, so wow. it was going to happen. It'd be awful if she hated fish. And that was like her defining characteristic. I just wouldn't have permitted it. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the teenage rebellion to come. She's going to hit puberty and just renounce. Stop stop pouring salt into your tanks or whatever it is. (laughs) What do fish not like? I don't know. Crisps. Crisps. (laughs) Entire Pringle tubes. Just emptying in. Oh, stuff nightmares are made of, that is. So in in Fable 2, when you're... You know, if you die a bunch and you become a a crumpled husk covered in scars, do people in the world then treat you differently? Yeah, it does. I mean, one one of the there are like three um, scales which everyone judges you on, and like one is good and evil, um, and one is like physical attraction to like how, and and I think it's literally like handsome to ugly or something. It's a it's. A, and you know, if you walk into a town and you're like really, uh, yeah, messed up, people be like, "Oh, scary! Look at that scary man." It's not. It's not particularly. It's not a very kind outlook. I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> uh, I think that it isn't like that. Isn't much of a punishment. I think it's more about you know that it's a game where you you basically customize your physical appearance through actions. So, like, if you use a sword a lot, you get really muscular. If you use ranged weapons, you get really tall. Uh, if you if use you magic... you for leaves, you get a long neck. Yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> magic puts, like, blue runes all over you. And so you're trying to, like, treat this character very carefully to make them the person you want them to be. So in my head, I have this, like, fantasy ideal of this very sort of... Uh, sort of aristocratic kind of dandy type with with lots of kind of you know pistols a kind of highwayman type thing and him being all like gnarled and scarred like doesn't play into that so it becomes quite quite a good like impetus for not dying which i quite like as a, as like an alternate kind of punishment or uh sort of system to kind of scare you off it uh, which I'm, so i haven't seen many games sort of I don't know. It's like people don't really want to punish you too much, I guess. You played Rogue Legacy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked I liked what that did with Inheritance. Well, that was the whole gimmick, wasn't it? But that was... Um, I really... That's my favourite thing about roguelikes, roguelikes, you know, all the various names we have for yeah. games where, you, you know, where you're done, you're done. I really like it when, you know, even if... nothing persists in that run something persists like in slay the spire where you unlock new cards and things it never feels like it's been for naught Mm. i really you know i like it when the run's over but the the game's got a bit bigger which isn't actually true of rogue legacy i'm just thinking of a different thing now yeah I, mean, um, I always like the inheritance thing in Crusader Kings, the fact that your ruler is at some point going to die and then you are going to take over as one of their children. And if those children are idiots um, or just competing with each other, it's going to lead to the the breakup of all your territory. It's almost a game in which you are the territory you control rather than any individual. Well, I mean... Like you're just a, a sentient landmass trying <laughs> desperately to keep itself... 
coherent by murdering idiot children. But that's the thing with, with CK3 that I really like, like my single favourite thing about it, is that that element is somewhat diminished in favour of something better because your your dynasty is a thing. So, like, your, um, you know, uh, if enough daughters marry popes and things, you get fame uh, and renown. And your dynasty, everyone's all, well, they're, they're a big deal. They're, they're, they're pretty fancy. And the more you get, you can unlock perks that affect... So, you know, if you've got a reputation for being phytos, then all of your descendants will be a bit more fighty, uh, which is really, really cool because it means you're not just playing to hold on to territory, which can get really frustrating when it inevitably gets lost. You're playing as a family and it's like, oh, well, you know... You know, we just we own one turnip field in in Anatolia now, but it's all right. The dynasty perseveres. Lovely stuff. <laughs> how like how, many- how aware are you of like death in that game? In terms of like, do you feel it hanging over you? Like, do do you do you feel like it's risky to make certain decisions past a certain age because that character could just keel over and die? Or like. I don't really. I haven't, I haven't played it myself. I don't know how, like, how present is death as a, as a thing in in Crusader Kings. Or oh, big time, your portrait withers as the years go on, um, uh, and it yeah. Once you get past sort of fifty, you start thinking, oh, you know, it 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 does affect your decision making as well because. Um, you know, there are lots of different um, scales in the game, like uh, piety and things, for example. Mm. And they're always increasing by a small amount. And if you, like, um, you know, build a church or whatever, um, you'll have a slightly larger monthly piety gain. And over the course of decades, you go up levels and get perks. Like, you know, every bishop you see will, you know, High five you if you if you're partic- if you go up a piety level um, and you have benefits. But once you get to a certain age, if you're given a random event that's like either build a church or have some money, like even if you've been pursuing piety all your life, if you're like, well, I'm not going to reach the next piety level before I die, probably. So I'll just have the money, which is odd because you know real life isn't really like that. Uh, I don't. I mean. I'm not particularly religious, but, you know, I don't think there's piety levels. <laughs> I bet the Pope keeps a list. Do you reckon he's got, like, um, like a little whiteboard in his office with all the cardinals? and he's A, a big Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of everyone he knows with, like, a, a piety rating next to them that he, he updates every morning. Or like you know those um like on Blue Peter when they'd have a big fundraising appeal they'd have the thermometer that they'd fill in it's like that but it's just got a picture of God at the top. I'm surprised no one's made like a proper Pope sim, like a. I know that you can become Pope in 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 some of these grand strategy games, but like something that really focuses in on the that that kind of crazy political moment when a pope dies and then they all go into that room and something happens and then they have that magic smoke comes out the top. Um, 
like you'd think there'd be like the makings of a great sort of uh you know kind of political thrillery kind of thing in there what's well, a really boneheaded beat em up <laughs> <laughs> just 12 cardinals in a darkened dome slugging it out to 12 cardinals enter one pope leaves yeah. <laughs> and you've got like you know angels handing you strimmers and stuff <laughs> Like in the Thunderdome, I'll, I'll stop. This is probably very blasphemous, but it would be cool. It would. I've never played God Hand, but this is what I assume that is. Yeah, pretty much. It's an allegory for who becomes Pope. <laughs> I was trying to think of of games where, because all the games we've talked about pretty much so far are systemic games, which you know have significant death to some or greater degree, but then you continue playing afterwards. I was trying to think of narrative deaths in games where there's a greater amount of finality to it. The only one I could think of that I actually liked was the first Modern Warfare. This is spoilers for a 15-year-old game, but there's a, a moment in that where the protagonist you've been playing as, which you, you sort of assumed at that point, up to that point is going to be your character for the rest of that game. Um, but about a third of the way through, you are fleeing from a nuclear explosion and you die. You're killed by this nuclear explosion and then become a different character for the next third mm. or the rest of the game. And that was like really surprising to me at the time because I hadn't seen that done in a first-person shooter and it was a really dramatic set piece. That's cool. Oh, I was trying to think of other examples of that. Like, do you guys have like narrative-driven games where the protagonist is killed? My flaming hot take, and this does tie into this, is that uh, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare games are basically uh, what remains of Edith Finch before that game happened. In that, I think they're all. I think all the three of them, the first three Modern Warfare's. That they all repeat that trick and shift perspective. I think those games have a really weird slash interesting habit of putting you into into different shoes at at the moments of people's death. It became a bit of a gimmick as it went on. Like a lot of people die. You know, there's the scene where you become like a family holding a camcorder and then you're killed by a van exploding nearby and things like that. And you know, it, that series basically just felt like a selection of mini games about all the different ways people die in 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 modern conflicts, I guess. Um, and then Edith Finch kind of came along and did basically the same thing. You know, it's another it's a game about dying from different perspectives and like what it means, to, you know, being in people's shoes at the moment of death. A lot more whimsical than modern warfare, <laughs> but I think that I actually I really think they're very similar. Um, uh, they 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 deploy similar tricks, but one is obviously like a billion dollar war franchise, and the other is whimsical and beloved um, by people like us. Um, <laughs> they both do have, have the same problem, where if you know there is a death coming, it is hard to motivate yourself to keep pressing W to move towards that yeah. death. And like Modern Warfare Three is the one where you're you're holding the camcorder as a family. And I think it had been like talked about in the pre-release marketing, the scene. So I knew what was going to happen as I'm pointing a camcorder at my, my wife and daughter, I think it is. And they're like skipping down this London street. That's got like 
three red post boxes <laughs> on it and 15 different double-decker buses because they're just determined to teach you that this is London, this is London, this is London. Mm-hmm. And if you if you don't if you don't press W, then it's not going to happen. You're, and if you do press W, then you are complicit in the death of your wife and child. Oh, I think what I eventually did was I pointed the camcorder in the opposite direction and walked backwards into it so I wouldn't have to see it happen and <laughs> felt like I had some agency over it. But so I have the same me. problem. <laughs> well, I'm just a, like a terrible cameraman. There's people watching the footage of that later and going, oh, he wasn't even looking the right way. God, <laughs> terrible. A rubbish YouTube video. It's not going to go viral. Um, <laughs> just the, the sound of your family dying in the background behind you. Um, but I have the same thing in What Remains of Edith Finch, which is a game I absolutely love, but there's a particular death in that game involving a very young child and a bath which just i mean didn't help that when i played it i had a one-year-old who i would bathe and you know you you have those fears as a parent um but that scene just ruined me and having to be in any way complicit in it happening um even just by the act of continuing to play i find really difficult Mm. Oh God, I can't play that game then. Thank you for warning me. I was just thinking, oh my God, I don't want to drown a baby. It's really horrible. <laughs> I um, give my daughter a bath every night. It's my favourite bit of the day. I don't want to ruin that. It's off because bits of Edith Finch, I feel like once you start playing it and you realise that that is what it's about, you know, the deaths of lots of different people. And I, I don't know if like, because some of them definitely feel almost like punchlines. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't really take like issue with any of them in particular. Maybe tone, like in hindsight, maybe tonally it is a little, a little odd. Uh, cause I tend to think of like the photography one, which I think is quite funny. Um, yeah. rather than the, the, ba- the baby bit. <laughs> um, mm. but yeah, it's. Yeah, it's strange, but that is that's a, that is a, that is a game that does you know it's a narrative death game that I think is 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 uh, you know a strong a strong contender for this. Yeah, I mean, I should say like well, I did say, but yeah, I should reiterate. Edith Finch is one of my favorite games. I think it's great, and like it does, I think mostly manage to hit that sort of. I mean, this is an overused comparison, but Tim Burton esque sort of twist on death where it's kind of a playful, funny um, thing, you know, man falling down an open sewer grate sort of death rather than a maudlin thing. Yeah. Mostly. There's a, um, there's a, there's a detective game where, uh, I won't say which one because it will spoil it, where the, detective changes after like the first case because of a death which was quite which was quite a surprise but i don't know if that was more just the kind of character character shift that's a really this is a terrible anecdote (laughs) 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 i'm not going to tell you the name of this thing because it just spoils it's uh yeah i retract i retract this entire comment uh (laughs) anecdote cancelled yeah (laughs) anecdote killed yeah um, I'm just trying to think of deaths that are part of the story of other characters that it's telling that I'm thinking, well, which ones do I remember? And other than like 
remembering a load of kids on the bus on the way to school going berserk because one of the Final Fantasy people had died. <laughs> My mind's just blank. Oh, I guess there was um, your man in, in Telltale's Walking Dead. That was that was difficult. Did you play that one? Yeah. Yeah, again, I don't really want to wreck it. Yeah, again, big spoiler, big spoiler territory. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, this is the spoiler minefield, isn't it? They um, they did that actually. They did that quite well in the um, the one season they did of Game of Thrones, um, because they were actually quite ruthless. With they had lots of play, you know, a bit like the show. They had lots of playable characters, and they weren't above murdering them off at quite a rate, which I which I quite liked. But that felt more just like tick in a Game of Thrones box rather than, you know, it's got anything to, you know, you can't, it's got to be, if, if, a, if a young princeling hasn't had their head bashed in, you know, it's not really, uh, it's not really true Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, well, that's why the Game of Thrones mod for Crusader Kings 2 worked so well, because it was a game in which you, you know, that that series is obviously very much about inheritance and killing people in order to in, ensure the continuation of your legacy and that sort of stuff and adding all those events in where you could your your guy could go boar hunting or whatever and just die in a, a futile pointless way out in the forest um you know that sort of stuff really worked for that series oh god imagine if that king didn't die boar hunting in game of thrones like how much easier life would have been for everyone it's such a nightmare. It's such a stupid... It, it, that is like the trigger point for a lot of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Would have, would have been called a song of beer and skittles then. <laughs> I would have enjoyed reading that. Game of tiddlywinks. <laughs> Summer is here. Um, there's, there's quite a fun little narrative thing in... Uh, there's a Ubisoft game that was on Wii U, but I'm pretty sure it's on PC. It was Zombie U on... Wii U, and I think it's just called Zombie on PC. Um, yeah, and that has like your Dark Soulsy thing, in that you're a you're a character in a in a sort of post apocalyptic L- London, and when you but when you die, you're bitten by a zombie, and your character then just becomes one of the zombies in the world. So then you start as the next survivor, and if you want to get your equipment back, you have to hunt down your first character and like smash the head in the cricket bat and then you can pillage all the stuff out their rucksack um which i quite liked as a twist on on the the kind of go to where you died to get your stuff back oh that's nice yeah i know really generic characters i mean they were they were just sort of that very not very spicy uh random generation so it wasn't like oh I re- this is iconic person i'm really attached to <laughs> Is it the state of decay do that still? Like, does a version of that, the kind of open world Microsoft zombie game? It's, it it it's all that game's all quite open and sort of systemic for sure. Uh, I can't remember if the people. I think they die and then they just they're just permanently gone. And you know, the group of survivors you start out with can be very different to the group of survivors you end up with. Um, but I don't think they become like obvious threats oh i um i cheated a permadeath recently accidentally purely by chance um 
Did you did you happen to see? And this is not. A, I, I shan't be offended if you didn't. It was a busy week. Did you happen to see the um, the the finale I did for the Basement of Curiosity? I haven't. No. The old uh, Dwarf Fortress let's play. But I must. Because Dwarf Fortress, um, like, it's it's very 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 strict about Iron Man mode. Uh, you can't. You know, it's very hard to save Scum. You have to you have to hard quit the game to, to make it work. And I had basically I wanted to end the series uh, that had been going on for ages with a bang. And so I, you know, I dug into hell because um, you can do that the classic too greedily and too deep. And you know, it was pretty much guaranteed to to kill everything. And when I breached hell and all these procedurally generated demons, weird pterodactyls, steam monsters and stuff started coming out. And my my mega dwarf, who was called Ed, uh, who would... Um, if, I will just plug the Basement of Curiosity, give the series a read, just search for it on RPS, we'll put it in the show notes. But Ed was a bit of a character. And I tooled him up and sent him running at the demons... And, you know, it was just going to, well, I mean, you, you, they would have eaten him like a crisp. Um, but incredibly, and this is the first time this has happened to me in years, he charged down the stairs towards the demons, and when he hit, the game crashed. The game legit crashed. I have it on film. And when I opened it up again, it had gone back to the safe state it had been in before I'd done the whole session. So he he genuinely saved an entire fortress from from death. Incredible stuff. Time travel. You probably like, cheated death. He's like Neo from the Matrix. He legit is you know, actually. Yeah. The si- simulation can't stand his his death. He just is reborn as <laughs> Cyber Jesus, Dwarf Jesus. Oh God! Yeah, that was the thing. I've forgotten. How do you remember what happened in the Matrix sequels, Graham? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's it's the end of the first film, which is the good one. Is it? I I was I was to this film podcast the other day, and um, they were interviewing uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter about the new Bill and Ted. And at, at the end of this podcast, because it's a film podcast, he always asks, "What have you been watching or enjoying during like lockdown?" And um, Alex Winter had all this interesting like TV been watching. And Keanu Reeves said, oh, I've been re-watching The Matrix Revolutions and Revelations. And they, and he was like, and yep, they really hold up. And that was like, his, that was the only thing he contributed. <laughs> I couldn't work out. It was so, it was said so sincerely. If it was just like taking the piss or like, if he was just like, because he's doing a new Matrix film, isn't he? So I don't know if he was just reacquainting yeah. himself with the material. It was very odd. <laughs> Pretty shameless. Is there a new one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with the original creators and Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss all back. Cool. Which is my my NR14 year old is pleased about, because I loved the first Matrix film back in the day. Oh, it was so good. I just remember him flying out of a phone box while Rage Against the Machine played. That's all I remember of the ending. Yeah, that's where it should have stopped, really, rather than revolutions and reloaded 
we're moving away from death at this point though so let's let's try and wrap up like do you guys have like a single favorite death we've talked about a bunch but if you could pick one from any video game narrative or systemic do you have a favorite death matthew uh i it's not one i brought up before but a a thing i really liked was uh the prince of persia sands of time which is obviously getting the remake next year where it was him telling the story the whole game was him telling the story of how he came to be at the end of the story and it had a time rewind mechanic so whenever he died like he was just rewinding the story and he would say over the top of the game like oh no that's not how it happened um and you'd be back on safe ground uh i really liked that as a solution to death so i think that counts it's the world world's worst storyteller though it just acts, keeps accidentally saying yeah and then i fell missed the pole and it fell out of a window no wait i didn't what am i talking about i'm here <laughs> of course i didn't fall out of a window <laughs> it's like my dad telling a story <laughs> <laughs> nate what about you what's your favorite i'll tell you what my favorite death is and i will uh you got to imagine me lowering my glasses and leaning forward now. It's the death of the author. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, la la. Yeah. Um, no, I was just trying to be a smart ass. Couldn't think of one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, for, uh, for me, I kind of covered it earlier because Spelunky is one of my... I, I think Spelunky is certainly my favourite game ever, and I think it's just the best game ever, objectively. And Spelunky 2 has replaced it for me, and it, a big part of it is the way its deaths are just so often funny and are always fair. So that's the pick for me. Well, it's, uh, oh. it's just an expansion pack, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but expansion packs were amazing, and we should do a future episode about expansion packs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, spicy. Let's just roll on and do it now. (laughs) Let's do some recommendations first, but I'm going to hit a sting. How is this medieval magic? Have we got other stings that we don't normally use? I don't know. I don't know what stings you normally use, so I just I've never heard that before. (laughs) What was that? It was great. It's called it's called Wap Wap here. <laughs> Isn't that what that popular song's always about? <laughs> oh Matthew, that was such a Matthew moment. That popular <laughs> song. It sounded Matthew. like the music from Divinity. It was great. Well, all these things are good. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, I, I even I, I it always sounds like I loathe the intro music, and I don't. It's very good. Um, I'm just always amazed that it's 30 seconds longer than I think it is every time. <laughs> well, Matthew, what, what do you want to recommend this week? I am going to recommend a new book uh, called The Devil and the Dark Water. It is the new book by Stuart Turton, who wrote The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which I think I've recommended on this podcast before, Uh which was an absolutely killer murder mystery with a like a body hopping groundhog day twist. His new book is set on a boat and a crazed leper warns everyone who's about to get on the boat they're going to die. Also on the boat is a Sherlock Holmes-esque detective who is in chains for some unknown crime 
and somehow this chain detective has to solve a devilsome mystery on this boat um, is what I've got from the first hundred or so pages. Um, it, it comes out tomorrow, but I got a copy today, uh, and it seems awesome if you like murder mystery stuff, which I do. Mm, lovely. How did you manage to get a copy early? Uh, well, via secretive means. <laughs> You're well-connected. I'm a well-connected man. I Nate. think it's a crazed leopard. That really changed <laughs> my understanding of the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, that would be a, a very different book. But... Um, okay, so uh, this week's uh, component for the RPS Build Your Own Aquarium... Um, now I want you just to imagine we're in a speakeasy, yeah? Um, it looks like a normal pub, but then you shine a UV light on the wall and there's a little uh, outline of a crab and you go through to the back room and I'm there and I give you a little slip of paper and it says www.garnelio.de. That's G-A-R-N-E-L-I-O www.garnelio.de now. It is illegal to import any crayfish to the UK other than Cherax quadrinaticus. But if you were inclined to do such a thing, and let me tell you, well, you can figure the rest out for yourself. We're not, we're not endorsing that anyone break the law. No, <laughs> no, I just get purely a, a fun... Factual... Fun German website to look at. The dumbest of all laws. <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's it's a good law okay. mo- mostly because like like it used it used to be out of control. People would just like buy loads of mad crayfish from cowboy aquatic shops, and they oh these are a bit big, way and chuck them in a canal where they just annihilated UK crayfish. It's completely unreasonable. But like, if you know what you're doing, there are loads of species that couldn't last ten seconds uh, in the wild, and some might consider it, um, yes, ethical. Anyway, um, as for recommendations this week, wallets. If you got money. You'll need something to keep it in. Better have a wallet. Um, I'll be honest, I was just looking at my wallet. I, I mean, I, I get a counter that and say that wallets are rubbish. They never have enough space in them for change. And, you know, they just become like filled yeah. with receipts and it's old just, train tickets. We're now living in a post change world. It's all, it's just, it's chip and pin from now on in COVID land. In which case, I say leave your wallet at home and just take your phone and set it up with Google Pay or Apple Pay and just wave your phone somewhere near the device. Leave your wallet at home. No, no. Get yourself a a sturdy belt with a a pouch (laughs) attached to it, um, such as one might have in medieval times. Not like a, 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 a pouch with a string that can be cut by a cut purse, but, um, you know, something good with a, a sort of buckle-shut lid um, so no one can thieve from you in medieval times. I think if I saw something like that at this point, I would just assume that it was filled with, like, D20s and stuff like that because that's, you know, whenever I see a pouch now, it's usually, like, an, a thing for keeping your die in. You could, actually. It would be quite good. 
roll for initiative every time you meet a new person. <laughs> My recommendation is going to be another podcast series. I'm going to recommend Slow Burn, which is a Gimlet Media pod- documentary podcast series, which does many series on different elements of American politics. So the first series is about like eight episodes long and is about Watergate. And the second series is about the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably have a loose understanding of those things, either because you remember them being on TV when you were growing up or because you've read the Wikipedia page or you've watched All the President's Men. Um, But these documentary podcast series are really good at diving into the stories and telling them, telling the stories at the periphery, the things that history has sort of forgotten, the things that the movies have excised for time, the characters that were involved along the way, and and uh, making it really engaging. And there's it's up to the fourth series now, and the most recent series is about David Duke, um, the massive racist who uh, ran as a Republican for the governorship of Louisiana in the early 90s, late 80s, and found a lot of success um, by pretending his views were not what they were. And a lot of the the strategies and the way that he spoke um, is is very relevant to our time and some politicians we have around now. Um, but the whole series is great. Every every season I've listened to has been brilliant. And yeah, it's called Slow Burn. It's highly recommended. Nice. Why do you like Gimli made podcasts? <laughs> Gim- Gimli Media, yeah. Stevia, Gimli Mike. <laughs> And that's all the time we have. If you like us, please give us a review or a high rating or whatever on iTunes or whatever your podcast thingy of choice is. It all helps bring in new listeners and we are desperate for new listeners. If you want to read some lovely stuff by some of the people on this podcast, not really me because I rarely write anything, but you can read my Spelunky 2 review which went up this week. You can go to rockpapershotgun.com. We also have merch there which is linked on the site and in the show notes to this if you want to buy a lovely t-shirt with our logo on it um you can follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash rock paper shot is there anything else that i'm forgetting that alice normally shouts out oh no i don't think so i think you nailed it sweet then it's time for that outro music say goodbye bye bye
we should get Jack to do a drum and bass remix of this, though. 